0: Ideas are everywhere. Welcome to Lessons Learned in Marketing, the Phoenix Group Podcast. I'm your host, David Ballareve, and today I'm very excited to introduce you to Michael Brennan, the CEO of Great Western Brewing. We'll hear from Michael about his career from Bacardi to VanDasta to Great Western Brewing, and he shares with us the similarities between those companies, which not what I expected. Michael comes from a financial background, so we'll certainly get into marketing from a financial perspective and advice for marketers on talking to financial people and the importance of a great brand story and infusing that story into your culture. Enjoy the conversation. Michael, this might be the most interesting conversation I'm ever going to have.
1: I'm excited. Then. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Let me start because uh, it's interesting, your background and where you're from and your path to becoming the CEO at Great Western. Can you summarize in, in, in shortly your 30 words or less? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, it can be more than 30.
1: Raised, raised here in Saskatchewan, so prairies are kind of in the blood. Uh, spent my childhood here and um, my family has a number of accountants in the family, so tried to resist the trend of becoming one, but realized over time that accounting was in the genes and it was the right thing to do. So I went through a path to uh, work for a couple of the large accounting firms, so part of the big eight at the time, now big six, big four, So, um, and that brought me to a little island um, in, the, in the Atlantic called Bermuda and was working for Ernst Young there and uh, ended up joining a, a small rum company called Bacardi. Small, Pri- yeah. <laughs> yep. Largest privately held spirits company in the world, but uh, still still held by the Bacardi family, so only shareholders from the Bacardi family own it. Do you,
0: is, are they still privately?
1: Privately held. Wow, yep.
0: that's unusual.
1: It, it is uh, a very rare thing these days. The chairman of the company is the great-grandson of the founder, Facundo Bacardi. Um, so a little over 150 years old now, the company. So that, that just brought some incredible opportunities for me as an individual. I was part of a small team in the company that, uh, led the acquisition of Grey Goose Vodka, uh, in the early two thousands, which was just a great learning experience. You don't expect a small boy from Saskatoon to be signing a a debt deal for four and a bit billion dollars for a company. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a fun career. Um, so I had some experience in beverage alcohol and we, over the years being overseas, uh, had, a, had a couple children and we really wanted them to be raised and understand what Saskatchewan is all about. So we were running out of time to do that. So with my children being 8 and 11, uh, we made the decision to leave, leave Bacardi and head back home. So moved back to Saskatoon.
0: And um, there you went to, if I'm okay to say, a little startup. I guess I don't know if it was a startup at the time, but a company that certainly exploded. Vendasta, you bet it. It was. Uh, I, I'd come come back home and really hadn't planned uh,
1: or decided what I was going to do. I'd told people I was retiring. Um, that quickly dissipated. It wasn't very <laughs> much fun. And uh, met a met a gentleman through a, 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 a common connection. A little. Um, Fun, fun lunch with uh, Brendan King, who is the CEO of Vendasta. and we we got on to having a really good conversation and him just talking about this company and what it was doing uh, had me thinking about a ton of different things and so it was pretty easy when they asked me to join the team and be their cFO so was over there for four and a half years. Uh, working company when I started was about fifty five people it 's now two hundred yeah, and eighty people and it's a rocket ship, and it's just it was a super, super dynamic place to work, and I do miss the folks over there and go over there every once in a while just to say hi and catch up.
0: So now I'm starting to see this thread or connection between these uh, companies. Like, they're all, uh, I guess— aggressive and in a way, well, they are independent. Is, do you see commonality between Bacardi, Vendasta, Great Western? Uh, I, I do.
1: There's, you know, the the thread that runs through all of them is kind of the care, consideration and family feel of the companies. Um, that that meant a lot to me at Bacardi. Um, they really are a family-first oriented company and anything happened personally in 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 your world, that was more important to them. Uh, than business, and we had a number of individuals, even our family, were affected at one point, and they just said, "Go home, look after your family. When you can come back, come on back." And uh, that that feeling resonates, and it is something I look for when I'm looking at opportunities: is 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 that going to be the type of family and atmosphere? Um, cutthroat is not necessarily my personality. I we have a saying, and Brendan and I actually used to say it a lot as we were raising funds for Vendasta. Was you know if life's too short to work with people you don't like Mm -hmm. um so if you don't want to have a beer with that person at the end of the day it's probably not worth getting in into business with those folks and i've followed that philosophy all all the way along and uh we continue to do that at great western we want to be able to say you know what let's day's over let's go have
0: a beer and just have have a good time so now here comes the interesting part because uh uh, generally, marketers and accountants, marketers and the CFO don't often get along. There's um, it, it, it's difficult to prove ROI in marketing, and uh, CFOs want that sort of proof point. How are you finding this? Because this it, would this be the first time you're really involved in all aspects of the business? Certainly, uh,
1: with that overall responsibility in the CEO chair, I, I had. Uh, an opportunity at at Bacardi to be responsible for one of the trading companies. And a big part of that, it was a Bermuda-based company, uh, was the allocation of marketing, advertising and marketing dollars. So that was my first foray into working. And and I certainly was coming at it from a finance perspective, working directly with our marketing uh, executive at that time, a lady named Stella David. Um, And that was kind of the first working with marketing and getting a different uh, feel for you can't always prove everything out. I think the the old adage is fifty percent of your advertising dollars are working. You just don't know which fifty so, yeah. percent. <laughs> um, and and that's a it's a difficult thing. And from a finance perspective, it is. But it's also getting the understanding of what's being what what are you trying to achieve? Understanding that it is going to be a little bit fluid. I, I think part of having an open dialogue and really kind of willing to call people out and at the same time understand where they're coming from. Uh, gives me an advantage, I think. I can see the finance side. I also had a few extra um, credits available when I was going to university, so I did some marketing classes. So I, I have a bit of an understanding. Um, but yeah, it's always going to be a challenge. I mean, it, it, it isn't it's not concrete.
0: I think you have more than a bit of an understanding, <laughs> but <laughs> now, so in, in, cause, cause, uh, marketers are who are listening to this and you've been on that finance side, you've seen, I guess, when things gel, maybe you've seen when they don't, what advice or what could you say to marketers when they're working with, um, uh, uh, I guess the, the organization as a whole to help make things more fluid and successful for them? Yeah, I've, I've certainly seen both
1: sides and I've seen, um, some great, some great marketing efforts. I've seen ones, uh, along the way that didn't work out part of, I think, explaining the vision and trying to put some, some sort of, here's what I'm expecting at the end of the journey, helps somebody who's looking at the numbers to really understand what you're trying to achieve. So the more you can explain what you're trying to achieve, the better it is for someone that is very quantitatively driven, mm-hmm. um, to get on board. Um, but you know, over over the years, the gentleman that built the Grey Goose vodka brand before before Bacardi acquired it, you know, he was doing things in the marketing world that no one had ever thought of. You know, no one at the time had thought you could sell a thirty dollar bottle of vodka, um, dress it up like it's a, a a French wine, put it in nice tissue paper, and and really sell it. Everybody thought the gentleman was crazy. Well, he. He sold the brand for a little over a couple billion dollars. So um, sometimes crazy works, and you're not necessarily going to be able to prove that out on paper.
0: So what, um, what have you seen that um, does work? You know, part of it is um, sticking to your strategy.
1: Uh, it doesn't always work immediately. So really being consistent, sticking to your guns really does pay off. Um, again, using Grey Goose, that w- that was part of Sydney's strategy is a consistent, he supported uh, non-profit uh, organizations in New York. So if there was a large event going on in New York, Manhattan, Grey Goose Vodka was there and supporting that event. So that was part of his strategy, getting the influencers to see the brand in a positive light. He also associated the brand, which no one had ever done in the spirit space, with golf. Um, it oh, is, really? I didn't know that. Big supporter in the golf category. It was one of, you know, it is one of the very few sports that you can play and also have a cocktail in your mm-hmm. golf cart. So it was a smart strategy. Again, he was really focused at a, at a high-end influencer type individual, and it fit the category. But he didn't build that overnight. It took kind of seven, eight years of consistent plugging and making sure that you were in the right places at the right time and holding holding true to the strategy. Um, that takes that takes patience uh, and
0: and guts. And what did you see at Picardy as far as marketing? They're um, I mean, like Great Western, highly competitive market it's an
1: incredibly competitive market the benefit that a company like Bacardi has is they're international so they do have some diversification Um, you know they are one of the longest stories uh, one of the first branding stories ever with uh, with uh, Bacardi rum Mm -hmm. so you know founded in 1862 in Cuba the population wasn't overly literate at the time and so using the symbol of the bat uh, which in Spanish culture is a very positive uh, symbol um on the brand itself, so on the bottle, people came to know it as the rum of the bat. But if you couldn't read, you could still see the bat and say that's the rum that I want. So it has a long, long history in marketing and branding, um, and you see that throughout you know, throughout all the brands that they own. They're very um, hold very dear to provenance, uh, which is really important these days. Consumers are getting a lot smarter. Same thing with Great Western. You know, you need. Consumers aren't going to be fooled by a fake story. So in our case, knowing 16 guys that risked everything 30 years ago to go to a large beer company and say, I know you're going to close it, but we want to buy it, that resonates with people. Um, They need to – they want the the true story, and they're smart enough to look for for brands that kind of hold something dear to them. To me, that's similar to Bacardi. Facundo Bacardi, who had come over from Siches, Spain, to Cuba – really was starting from scratch and you know he built a brand with his wife Amelia Um, the same story people can understand it and get behind it it's how you sell that and tell that story to the consumers and kind of the next
0: step and Bacardi did it very well and I hope that we do it as well at Great Western. It's really cool that uh, Bacardi did that so many years ago because now, and maybe it's just we're all getting more enlightened, but this idea of provenance, of you know, wanting to know where our food is coming from, know the stories behind our beverages or food, is really, really powerful and a great differentiator. Like Great Western Story is so amazing. And every time you talk about the brand, people refer to it. it it is it's resonating with people it it actually just
1: walking in the building we've got a a large mural in the back in our hospitality room that shows the 16 gentlemen that that risked it all the 16 underdogs as, as they're called three of them still working in our brewery today um it, it just makes you feel good actually being in the building and having a conversation with one of them about the old days and kind of all the things that they had to do um, to make it. And, and we, we've carried that through with the brand and, and really some of the values they, they wanted to hold dear. We, can, we continue to do that. We use Saskatchewan barley. Um, we want, we're, we're part of the prairies. We want to support the prairies folks here supporting us. So all of that is really core to our DNA. Uh, And I think it translates. I think consumers see that and say, "You know what? This is a brand. This is a brand
0: I like. It's a great beer, but I also I like what they stand for." Yeah. Do you find that um, that that spirit is part of the culture at Great Western?
1: It is. So as I joined as CEO last year, we started to do a little work on kind of core purpose and values, and just me asking questions internally and really understanding like a CFO would do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, we, we spent some time and said the core purpose, and we all agree that the core purpose of our company, uh, and one of your, one of your previous guests, Mr. O'Reilly, who I'm a big fan of, um, you know, are you selling beer or are you doing something different? Well, we really believe we're not selling beer. We're actually helping people make shared times more memorable and fun. So we're, you know, we're we're part of events in people's lives, hopefully mostly positive, but there are times when you get together and, you know, if someone's passed away, you're also having a beer and talking about folks. But we are part of that experience, so yeah. that's our real core purpose, to be part of those great times in people's lives where they can remember. Uh, and then we look and say, you know, what? how do we deliver that? What are the values that we get there? Well... The one that rings the, the truest for me is Relentless Ingenuity. Um, and that's, mm-hmm. that's something that is core to our DNA. You know, it's 16 guys, as they started, had to do everything, had to figure out how to get the bottling line running again, had, had to figure out, you know, how to get the yeast propagating again so we could make the beer. And it took some ingenuity to get all that done. We're in a fairly old brewery, so I would tell you we continually are using Relentless Ingenuity <laughs> to keep things running. Um,
0: there are some great stories about those 16 guys, and even uh, when I guess uh, the big brewers were trying to block them a bit, and they had to actually go get their bottles and clean their bottles. Is that we <laughs> we
1: they actually put ads in the newspaper saying please, and they went door to door, actually in Saskatoon, saying, "Can you give us your empties? Because we need to put more beer in them." So, yeah, they did. They had challenges, but they you know they met them head on, uh, and we're seeing the benefits
0: of that today. So you now leading this company, wow, it's been actually, I think it's a year right now or near a year. We are within a week of a year. Yeah, yeah. that's fantastic. So how is it with, uh, because you are an underdog brand, you're a regional brand facing giants. What are, what is that struggle like? Well,
1: there are some huge headwinds. Um, Consumers are changing kind of how they drink. They are changing away from large international brands. So Two of the, you know, there are two companies that have about eighty percent market share
0: yeah.
1: um, in Western Canada. Unfortunately, we're not one of those two, um, and and they they're having some international difficulties. They have some growth, but North America is under a lot of pressure, and so they are they are doing some unusual things, uh, which means that we have to stay on our toes to be able to to combat that. So that's difficult. Um, what's in our favor is exactly what we talked about earlier, which is consumers are looking more to support local. They want to know a little bit more about their brands. They also really, they're they're much more educated. There's a lot more information out there that they can readily get to, and they do. Um, so they're doing their research and their homework, uh, and we're we're getting some of that benefit where people say, you know what, I do want to support local. Now, we're not the only people to be getting that. The craft brewing industry is also... Yeah. Um, rapidly growing, and that's the part of part of our competitive set. At the same time, I kind of see them as frenemies, um, yeah, yeah. because as people come into the category, they might go and try a nine mile or a Rebellion beer, and that gets them back into the beer category and say, you know what, I liked uh, I liked having a beer, yeah. and hopefully then they go, maybe I should try that original
0: sixteen again, and and they say, I really like that beer. So, what do you think of? Like I see the 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 large ones in Bev, and that um, they're not not aware of this they're seeing uh this rise in craft beer and you start to see them package or buy up little companies and now they're mass uh mass marketing these small ones and people are maybe not aware that oh that's a that's a big brewer
1: yeah they are they're following a strategy to go and pick off smaller smaller companies kona brewing in hawaii uh, owned by one of the large guys, Granville Island, that was, you know, a small craft yeah, brewery. such a shame. Now now, <laughs> part of the big... And, and what, what they do is they do try and bring... I think they've tried at the beginning to leave them as much alone and in, independent as they can. But over time, when you're looking for synergies and cost reductions, the brand is going to change. And you're well, right. The culture ha- has to seep in there, too. I've heard the culture changes probably... More rapidly than anything else, yeah, so yeah. Uh, because you can't do some of the things you could do as a small independent company.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, what are um, let's carry on with the challenges of underdog, an underdog in this in this upstream, or facing these headwinds.
1: Yeah, we're we're facing companies that have a lot more dollars than us. We're also now being treated in markets like we are one of those big players. So, Alberta. Um, has been the bane of our company's existence for the last couple of years as changes were made in the category... Well, the that, government of Alberta, let's yes. say. Yes, so we have a new... You love Albertans. I do love Albertans. Uh, I've, most of my family lives in Alberta now, so um, I get a lot of opportunities to be over there, and it is it is a great That's market. That's my hometown, so I yeah.
0: can't, <laughs> can't trash it too
1: much. No, and it's, it is, it's a great market for the company. We have a lot of people that love our brands there, and, and I am hopeful that as we see some changes and uh, really... The market has to correct itself. There's some large craft brewers in Alberta that without kind of adjusting what's currently the environment, uh, you know, face some very difficult times ahead. So I'd, I, I'm, I'm comfortable that I think the government of the day will maybe take another look at the, what's gone on and say maybe that we need to chart a new course and I'd be happy to help uh, advise on that.
0: (laughs) From a marketing perspective, though, or from uh, even business development as you try to expand and grow distribution in Alberta or other markets, um, how do you approach that as as an underdog?
1: I think key is our messaging is consistent with that underdog theme. Uh, You will see it. We are investing more heavily in Saskatchewan this year and also Manitoba, which I see is another great opportunity for us. Um, with some of that messaging, uh, both television, so we're actually uh, on, on television. If you if, uh, those listeners that are watching Hockey Night in Canada, you'll be seeing the original 16 ads here in, in the prairie. So uh, we're trying some different techniques. They're traditional techniques, but ones that we haven't explored a lot with the brand before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to start foraying into a little bit of digital as well and um, trying to reach the consumers. What, what works, it's the most difficult to do, but... The real way to get to the consumers in this category is to have them taste the beer. Yeah. Um, so we spend a lot of time with feet on the street, our sales guys out there, um, you know, behind a table as people walk into a liquor store and having them get to try, you know, our flagship, Original 16 Pale, but also our new offerings, Prairie White, our new one this summer, Hellas Half Acre. So those are the brands that we need people to try because once they've tried them, you know, it's, you won't go back.
0: It must be, uh, well, you get to see, I guess, the variety of, of um, uh, retail outlets. And now in Saskatchewan, we're starting to see those private companies come in. And I know when I go to, back to Alberta and go to the the liquor marts or whatever, and uh, it's, it's crazy, the competition and how to stand out and how to get... <laughs> people to pick your cho- or your beer
1: it, it is i mean if you go to the, and craft is even uh, as complicated you go into those stores and you take a look at the you know the beer walls and literally they're aisles and aisles now of beer it's uh, i walk through and i'll talk to our sales guys as we walk through and say how how can you differentiate how does a consumer really understand and, and i think it has become so difficult there will be some some folks that go into that store and uh, know exactly what they're going to purchase most yeah. don't actually most go in and say I, you know I'm going to try a different beer and how do you you know how do you stand out in a sea of sea of beers um part of it is making sure that the folks in the store that are working there understand your beer and right. can yeah. with a conversation with that consumer direct them to to our products and say you know what you should try original 16 um that that's part of it um, it's it's really difficult, and I don't I don't think it's going to get less difficult as we see more and more craft. They are going to try and get some uh, some retail space as well, and at the same time, the larger uh, larger companies are also trying to innovate just the brand block and get more space on the shelves. So everybody's trying to add more. It, it's a confusing proposition for a consumer.
0: Well, paralyzing. Sometimes you walk in and really don't know, uh, and and it's a risk. To- it's you know not a giant risk but it's a fair risk to just pick up something you've never heard of before how much is um familiarity do you think or or that recognition so the recognition will help us if we have a big
1: enough brand block with one or two of our cans there it's more difficult right you well, can't well, spot it one of the interesting um, trends that we're seeing is single serve so that's a 473 milliliter can that you buy just as one and um, we have you know a bunch of folks that are a little younger on our team as well and so i'm always peppering them with questions as to what they do on the <laughs> yeah. weekends and have heard through other retail outlets as well that consumers are now spending sunday through thursday or sunday through wednesday buying one two or three of those single serve cans tasting different beers over those few days and then making a purchasing decision for the weekend that says, I like that one. I'm going to go buy a 12 pack or that's interesting. So that, that is interesting. And I think that is one of those things where you have to try and figure out how in that single serve market, can you stand out and get someone to, you know, try our beer for the first time so
0: that they then go back and say, "I, I want, I want a bigger format. Now, uh, Great Western has just introduced a new uh, product. My my new favorite beer, Hellas Half Acre. Yeah. Um, how is how is product launching? It's been it has
1: been really good. We learned a lot about launching the product. Um, so we didn't have a light beer in the original sixteen range, and we had a lot of consumers asking us when are you going to have a light beer in that range. And we we spent a lot of time. It's a brand that we are very protective of. It has a lot of obviously heritage to the company. Uh, so we were very particular about what we wanted to launch there. We also understood that consumers are looking for products, you know, for those that are drinking a Coors Light or a Bud Light, they they want a light offering. We wanted to have a little fun with it. So Hellas, which is a style of beer, Pilsner's a style of beer. Um, we started there and said, you know, Helles, which is a light German lager. Let's try and play with that a little bit. And then we're in the prairies, so... Hell's Half Acre kind of came up in conversations, and it stuck with the team. And so Hell's Half Acres, where we ended with a with a brand name, um, but the product itself took us about a year to come up with. So Amanda, our brewmaster, is meticulous at her craft. She's a fantastic lady, and she's amazing. Yep, yeah, and she came up with this over the course of a number of tasting sessions, to the point where we said, "This is this is a light beer." that a consumer won't know is a light beer if you don't tell them. And that's where we really wanted to position. And uh, it ends up being kind of 2.5% alcohol, 2.6%, uh, which is, I think, a, a great spot in a market that consumers are looking for a little less alcohol. Um, you know, there's changes in, in driving vehicles. You have to be conscious yeah. of that. This provides an opportunity. You can still have a, a drink out with your friends, uh, and, and be responsible so there's a lot of things that just work work for the brand really really well and so
0: far it's gone really well I'm looking forward to opening the cottage and uh, spending a lot of time with my Hellas half acre <laughs> I'll be up at mine on Saturday opening it and I am bringing a case in the back of the car so <laughs> I'll do the same thing so when, um, when you choose a new product I imagine it's not like um, you're not like a craft brewer who can create these little small batches what do you? How does that decision made, and um, what's the? What is the thinking behind? Where that has to go into
1: that? So, and I, I'm, I have borrowed a lot of learning that I received at Bacardi on this, and uh, we've got some fantastic people in the company that are, are great at, at innovation, and we've started a great innovation kind of gating process where we are trying to think up a number of things. Many of them won't go anywhere, but at least have some. Opportunities and thoughts as early as we can. And we now are getting into a, a, a pattern of, you know, every month we'll get together, we'll try a bunch of different products uh, in a, in a couple-hour tasting sessions, so we understand what some of the trends are and working with some of our partners to, to try and get ahead of those trends. Uh, and, and then the other element that we always have to, and everybody looks for kind of size of the prize, um, which was what made so much sense with you know Hellas Half Acre, right? I'd What's the potential? Happily take a little bit of the Coors Light, Bud Light market, yeah. <laughs> um, and and that's that's our intention. So we, we do go through and try and have a bunch of ideas going through the pipeline that we'll keep testing. Our complication, and, and you really nailed it on the head, is for Amanda to do a test brew. Currently, she has to make sixteen thousand liters of it. <laughs> that's not really a small test size. So we've just we're just in the process of putting in a little pilot brewery in the back that will allow amanda to you know do really it's a one barrel system so two kegs is what she'll be able to produce so that we can she can play and come up with different things and and then if it does work for us and we like it then we'll take it into the bigger development side
0: oh that's very cool and you also started um small batch i think was uh or something you tried i don't know how how it's going or (laughs) so it's it it went Fantastic,
1: and it's over. Um, and the, the reason, it's a, it's a fantastic Saskatchewan story. So we actually had a farm in Moosaman, Saskatchewan, reach out to Amanda and say that they were in the process of growing hops in in Moosomin, Uh and would we be interested in, in buying some. And, and we, we actually said we'd buy all of it. Um, they said, we don't want to do that. We want to make sure that we're diversified as a business, and we understand that. So... Uh, we bought as much as they'd sell us, and that allowed us to make just a, a one one batch, so sixteen thousand liters. So it's not a small batch, yeah. but a, one batch of a Saskatchewan golden small ale. Small for you, small for us. <laughs> um, and we didn't put it in package. We only sold it uh, in bars and restaurants, so we we only kegged it. Uh, but it went really really well. It was just, and we put it under, and we, we will use the the branding again in the future, which is Great Western Small Batch. So that that is going to be a series that we'll look at, and we'll look at different flavors, different styles over time. Uh, The unique one for Saskatchewan, the SGA, was because we could use 100% sass barley, which we uh, always do, and uh, then 100% Saskatchewan hops, which we'd never been able to do. So 100% Saskatchewan-made beer was just something that felt right and good for all Perfect. of us. Perfect for the brand, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And uh, and it was also, as always with Amanda, delicious. So um, and that's not one that could scale, I guess, unless Mooseman decides to grow. A- Oh, they beer are cough. they are growing. So Amanda mm-hmm. and I were down there, and and
1: actually our assistant brewmaster Chris Hatcher was. Well, the, he was the one that yeah, he sorry. designed the beer under Amanda's guidance. Uh, but um, you know, it was an exciting, just it was an exciting opportunity for everybody. Amanda and I drove down. We were in, we were actually in Regina for meetings, and ended up driving down to the farm in Musiman and picking up the boxes of fresh hops, uh, which we traditionally would use a, a pellet style hop versus the the fresh. Um, yeah, so. Great learning for me. I'd never been to a hop farm, uh, and and they are. They're scaling up. They're going to try and keep growing larger and larger. Um, and you know, as the as the beer, certainly the craft brewing industry grows, they're in a they're in a fantastic
0: position. But as a, I guess Saskatchewan's biggest brewer, uh, and even would you be Western Canada's? biggest regional or near we're we're
1: pretty close we're neck and neck with big rock there's pacific western out in in bc we're all about the same size big rocks a little bigger than us they they add some cider production so they they get to be
0: slightly larger than us but i'm trying to correct that (laughs) i love that you are you know in this innovation mode and also in this finding ways to help support the the local farmers and local producers is fantastic yeah, think, oh, go ahead.
1: I think it fits into what's happening in the market. I yeah. mean, it 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 is, and it just feels right. You know, when you're doing something and it, it feels right, the whole team gets excited about it, and that's part of. Um, I think that's part of why we're all excited about the direction we're
0: headed. Well, it's true to the brand, and that's what we, um, we all uh, ov- always profess. So. so last question, lessons learned in uh, now that you've been in the beer industry for, well, I guess you were on the board for a few years, but we'll say for a year you've been.
1: <laughs> There's a lot to learn. Actually, uh, a couple lessons learned is the, the beer industry is, a, I would say, on the production side a lot more um, complicated than spirits there's a lot more going into it on the marketing side it's it's got a lot of similarities I think in both my spirits and my and my beer learnings patience is probably the the biggest lesson I've learned patience and perseverance so if you think you've got something and it feels right you need to stick with it to give it a chance to succeed changing course too quickly um, you know you'll you won't get to where you're trying to head to
0: Well, that's got to be tough for a guy from an accounting background. It is. (laughs) Patience. Thanks, Michael. Thank you very much. Great. Thanks a lot, Dave.